0: The devil loves to buffet the people of God to come against them. As I was praying this morning in my study, the Lord made that very clear to me. I've had some difficulty this week, and I never have physical problems, but I've had some this week, and they have plagued me all week, and I've wondered why, and this morning it came clear to me, the devil likes to buffet the people of God. Dr. Forrest Beiser is in the hospital this morning. The prognosis at this point is a brain tumor. He was in his car coming back from Manteca and blacked out, had enough consciousness to pull his car off the road but did not get it shut off and it caught on fire as it ran and ran and a state patrolman pulled him out and got him to the hospital and we are not sure yet what will be done. He's in great spirits. He's happy. But again, it came to me, why? The devil buffets the people of God. This song, both songs, Bere's song and the choir song lifts my spirit this morning. We look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We're not defeated. We're on top. We don't look at the brain tumor. We look at Jesus. We don't look at the problem. We look at Jesus. And when we see him and focus on him, everything is right. Praise the Lord. Can you say amen to that? Happiness is the contented life. This is the next to the last sermon in a series. Next Sunday, happiness is the spirit-filled life. And then, In the fall, we're going to be preaching to you a series from the book of Job. It has occurred to me that some of you need the encouragement of Job. Some very practical messages from that great Old Testament book. So, I hope you'll be with us. Philippians 4 is a chapter of contentment. So keep your finger in it. That's where we're going to be looking for the next few minutes. Do you know that one of the greatest blessings in life is the blessing of perfect contentment? Paul had this in full measure. As we look around today, we see a lack of it, the discontent of people. But Paul had perfect contentment in health or in sickness. He said, I'm content. In affluence or in poverty, in strength or in weakness, when abased or when abounding, when full or when empty, at all times, he was perfectly contented. And if that be true, then I want to know how he arrived at that point. When did he write these words in Philippians 4? Well, he wrote them, if you're a Bible scholar... When in chains in Nero's prison in Rome, you will have discovered that if you've been a student of the Word. When in chains in Rome, he wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice, verse 4. He wrote in verse 11, I have learned in whatever state I am in, California, Washington, Illinois, whatever state I am in, therein I will be content. He did that bound by chains with no future at all in the natural. So with no comforts and no luxuries and with no guarantee of what might happen in his life, he said, wherever I am and in whatever circumstances I am in, therein I'm going to be content. Now, if you further understand the life of Paul, this makes it even more interesting because he was brought up in luxury. He was taught at the feet of Gamaliel. His family was an astute family. Paul knew how the good life was. He had been raised in the lap of luxury. Now he is deprived of many of the barest necessities of life. He didn't even have a bar of dial soap. And yet he could say, I'm content, I'm satisfied and I'm radiantly happy. Rejoice in the Lord. You see, there's the key. It wasn't rejoice in the circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord. You always have the Lord. And again I say rejoice. In case you missed it the first time, I say it again. Rejoice. Not many of us can say this like he did. Too often we're disgruntled. We are a grouch. We are discontent and ungrateful and covetous of other people's things rather than practicing Philippians chapter 4. Do you know what the greatest sin Israel ever committed was? It was the sin of murmuring, which is discontent. It was not raising that golden idol. It was their murmuring, 1 Corinthians 10.10. Don't murmur against God and his dealings with you as some of them did, speaking of those in Moses' day. For that is why God sent his angel to destroy them. God could put up with that God of gold for a time. He could put up with their idolatry and their adultery, but he could not put up with their murmuring, their discontent. And it was because of that that he sent his angel to destroy them. Now, I was reading the paper yesterday, and I don't know if it was Thursday, Friday, or Saturdays because I looked at them all at once. Haven't hadn't had time to look at them. And in one of those papers was a story of a, a young army officer who had just been sentenced to 30 years at hard labor. Now that's a long time. And I was wondering why, and it said he had been involved in drug traffic in his position in the service, and he had been stealing money. And they asked him after being sentenced to 30 years at hard labor, why he did these things? And he said, because I was bored. He was discontent with where he was and what he was doing and his assignment, And to get something exciting into life, he was selling drugs and stealing and doing things totally contrary to an officer in the army. Oh, how we pay for our discontent. We pay for 30 years and some will pay for eternity because of their discontent. Do you wonder why I come with such passion and conviction to preach to you this morning about the happy life being the contented life? Because murmuring and discontent is at the base of a good deal of our sin, and God cannot put up with it. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy 6. Read the whole chapter. It's the same man talking. Paul writing, godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. Do you know that in Luke chapter 3 verse 14 it even says, be content with your wages? Hello? Luke 3.14, be content with your wages. How many times do I hear it? I need more money. Never anybody saying, I need less. I'd like to get cut in my salary. But so often we are wanting more. We are discontent. Why the strikes? Why the pickets? Why the labor trouble? We want more,
1: more, more.
0: Discontent. And what happens? Strike, discord, difficulty. Notice Paul said something important. I have learned to be content. Now, I want to help some of you right now. We are not contented by nature. So get rid of the guilt trip, will you? You've been sitting here miserable up to now because you thought it was just you and what a horrible person you must be because you are so discontent with things. Oh, no. It is our nature, all of us, to be discontent. Do you know that's why garage sales flourish in America? They get tired of the suit and the dress, and man, you can find some good stuff out there. Bargain prices because of our discontentment. It is part of our nature to be discontent. So Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, helps us by saying, I have learned to be content. It's something to Cultivate something to work on. And this chapter gives us a great deal of help. If you have come up to closed doors and nobody wants you, then start your own business. Don't be discontent. Don't be upset. Don't fix your attention on the closed door. Fix your attention on some opening and possibility that you can find in life. Alfred C. Fuller was 20 years old. He could not hold on to the first three jobs he had. He could hardly read or spell. Nobody wanted to hire him. So he started making brushes in the basement of his house. Did you get his name? Alfred C. Fuller. Could not spell, could not read, Mr. Fuller hasn't done too badly. There is hardly a home represented in this sanctuary This morning, that does not have a Fuller brush in it, if not more than one. That's the Fuller I'm talking about. Alfred C. Dummy Fuller. What would some of us do? We'd sit in the basement and moan and groan and complain, and some would commit suicide. So discontented because nobody wanted them, not Mr. Fuller. He put brushes together, went out on the street and sold them, came back down into his basement and made some more, and went back and sold them. And then he hired the kid down the block to go out on the street while he kept making them, and then another one, and another one. And some of you have been a representative of Alfred C. Dummy Fuller. What do you do? Look at the problem. Look at the closed door. No, you get the spirit of Philippians 4 in your heart and move out in the name of Jesus to do something for his glory. Now you've got the bulletin which gives you a lot of room to write notes in. Aren't you happy for that little change in the bulletin this morning? I want you to fill it up. Put your name on the bottom and turn it in. I want to test you to see... No, not really. But here are five things from Philippians 4. We've got to run through very rapidly this morning. Five things that Paul has written in this chapter that you've got to get a hold of if your life is to be full and meaningful and directed and powerful and contented. Number one is the purpose. And all of these things begin with P, the purpose of God, first of all. Verse 3 reminds us that our names are recorded in heaven there is therefore an eternal purpose for all of us. We are not children of time. Romans 8:28 says that we know that everything works together for good to those who love God who are the called according to his purpose. And Paul begins this beautiful chapter and outline by reminding us of the purpose of God. Our names are recorded in heaven. We are made for all eternity. Our source of joy and our source of contentment is not anything upon earth but that which is permanent in heaven. Glory to God. Where is your emphasis? Is it in the new lamp, the new car, the new furnishings, the new job? Or is it in that which really lasts? Our names are recorded in heaven. Even the devil can't get at that book. He has no right to it. We are eternal creatures of God. And so what if things aren't going good today? We are creatures of eternity, not of time. Our purpose is a godly purpose, an eternal purpose. And we're going to come out right, if we remember that. Our names are recorded in heaven. That's why Paul could sit in that jail bound by chains and be happy. Because he knew that his home was an eternal one. Years ago in the Northwest, Reverend Edgerton Young, a missionary to the Indians, told a beautiful story of an Indian who with his son came down from the distant hunting grounds to fish. The night before returning home, the father told the boy to put the book of heaven, as he called it, in his pack, for they were going back 140 miles to their home. That same night, the uncle who, was, who had the wigwam where they were staying asked if he could have the Bible to read for a brief time, and the boy pulled the Bible out of the pack and handed it to his uncle. And after he read it a while, he tossed the Bible back in some blankets that were laying there, and they forgot about it. The next morning, the father and the son started on their homeward journey early. On their snowshoes, they walked 70 miles that day. They stopped and ate some rabbits and had prayers and slept. The next morning, they pushed on and made 70 miles more and reached home. That night, the father said to the son, "'Give me the book of heaven.'" that we may read and share prayers together. The boy opened his pack, reached in, and could not find the Book of Heaven. It was at that moment that they discovered the uncle had not put it back in the pack. The father was disappointed somewhat, but did not say much. The next morning he arose before the rest of the family put his snowshoes on and walked 70 miles through the snow. He stayed that night. The next morning he walked 70 more miles to the wigwam of this uncle. And he got the book of heaven, stayed that night, walked 70 miles, stayed another night, walked 70 miles, finally arrived home with the book of heaven. He had walked 280 miles to get the book of heaven. How many miles would you walk for an eternal purpose? How much would you put yourself out for the word of God? which lives and abides forever. He wanted his copy of the Word. Our contentment, our satisfaction, should be in the eternal purposes of God, not in the stock market, certainly not in the horoscope. God help you if you even read it. Certainly not in the passing things of this life. We are wrapped up in the eternal purposes of God, and that's where contentment begins. Our names are recorded in heaven. Hallelujah. Nobody can touch that. The second P is the presence of God. Verse 9 says that the God of peace shall be with you. The presence of God. We should consciously enjoy the presence of the Lord every day. Psalm 23:4 says, Yea, though I walk to the valley of death, I will fear no evil. Why, David? For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Hallelujah. The presence of God. Isaiah 43, 1 and 2. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Oh, how precious is the presence of God. I told you last Sunday the Holy Spirit is within us. The angels are around us. The Word of God is a power to keep us. We have the presence of God, and that should bring us contentment. I have said to people, you must practice the presence of God. You must daily, hourly, almost moment by moment practice the presence of God. The peace of God is there, and the God of peace is there always to surround us, to be with us, to help us through the flame and through the fire and through the flood. The God of peace shall be with you. That's what Paul knew in his heart. Though he was chained, though he was incarcerated, the God of peace was with him. He had the presence of God and was content because God was there. Hallelujah. The third P is the people of God. Verses 10 and 14. Read them sometime today. Paul was surrounded by loving friends who prayed for him and in whom he found fellowship how wonderful to belong to the family of god now let me chat with you a minute about what i feel about this particular point many of you do not enjoy and profit from the people of god hebrews 13:5 tells us we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together and we have used that verse to say that we should be in the house of God together and that's true, but there is a broader meaning than that. I believe the writer to the Hebrew Christians was saying that we need fellowship and we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together to draw on one another's energies and one another's strength and one another's wisdom and to grow together in the things of God. Read Philippians 4 and learn from Paul what the people of God meant to him. I don't think he could have made it without the people of God. And I don't think any of us can make it without the people of God. The most beautiful words to my ears are these precious words. Pastor, I am praying for you. What a wonderful strength it is to a pastor to know that he has hundreds of people praying for him every day. The people of God bring a contentment and a strength that nothing else in this world can do. We have encouraged you to get to Sunday school classes, the smaller group the home fellowship centers, the smaller group, learn to know each other. You should be growing friends in the family of God and don't sit in the corner and wait for them to come to you. You go to them. That's the way God intended it to be. And the only reason God ever created food is that we might grow in fellowship. Really. It takes too much time to prepare food and sit down and eat food unless God had a reason for that. And the reason is he knew very well that we would not stop and talk to each other and fellowship together unless we had a good urge to do it. And we have the urge, I'll tell you for sure. In fact, some of you are saying, I wish you'd shut up so I could go satisfy that urge right now. God... Gave us a craving for food that we would sit down and talk. Mealtime should never be quiet. It should be happy and joyous and filled with buzzing activity. Getting to know each other. That's what coffee There's no reason for coffee other than that. To some, he gave a stronger desire for food than others for some reason. Maybe you need fellowship more. I don't know. But at any rate, the point is the people of God are a part of this message of contentment in Philippians 4. I can't get by without you. You don't know the strength I get just standing up here looking in your faces. And I have people say, well, it doesn't matter if I'm there. You never miss me. I do too miss you. You minister to me, you minister to this choir and these pastors, and you minister to each other. What would it be like if all these seats were empty today? What if everybody said on one Sunday, I don't think I'll go, they don't need me, and there was nobody here. What a witness that would be. And how weak we would be, the people of God. Christians need friends, and they need love, and they need prayer. And how precious it is to meet together with brethren in unity and to share the joy of fellowship in Jesus Christ. Do it often. Get into these groups. Find out after church the joy of loving fellowship and prayer and strength from the people of God. Paul had it constantly and had it to survive with. The fourth P is the peace of God. Verses 6 and 7. The peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds. And I've underscored that word minds because there are so many people cracking up. Our institutions are filled with people who are cracking up. The peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds. I want you to get a picture of Mark 4 35 to 41. Mark 4, 35 to 41, the sea is rough, the wind and the waves were boisterous, the boat was filling with water, and the disciples were petrified with fear. That's the picture. The Sea of Galilee was just in a terrible, terrible turning, a a foaming, Storm that made those waves come up over the edge of the boat and filling the boat with water and the waves and the winds boisterous, the Bible says. And they were chewing their fingernails with fear. Is that the end of the picture? No, you've left out one little part. Jesus, he was in the boat sleeping. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He has not promised to remove the storm. People who say, get saved and all your troubles will be over, ridiculous. You've just begun to fight. You get saved, give your life to Jesus, be born again, and He will give you His promise of keeping you in trials and testings and storms. He offers His perfect Peace in the midst of the storm. He was sleeping in that ship while they were chewing off their fingernails because of the boisterous winds and waves. That's a great picture of what Paul found in Philippians 4. The peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds. How can you do it, Paul? You're facing execution. They're going to take your head off. How can you do it? The peace of God keeps your heart and mind. Today, as I said a moment ago, people are falling apart. Isaiah 26 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. You see, whose mind is stayed on thee, not on the problem, not on the closed door, on the Lord. It is said that once upon a time, the devil announced he was going out of business. He was going to sell all of his tools to those who were willing to pay the price. On the big day of the sale, all of his tools were attractively displayed. There was envy, jealousy, malice, all kinds of sensuality tools, idolatry. Each of the tools was marked with its own price tag. Over in the corner by itself was a harmless-looking wedge-shaped tool, very much worn, but still it wore the higher price of all of the other tools. Someone asked the devil what it was, and he answered, that is discouragement. The next question came quickly, and why is it priced so high? Even though it is plain, it's easy to see that it's worn more than those other tools. Why is it priced so high? The devil replied, because it's more useful to me than all these other tools. I can pry open and get into a man's heart with that when I cannot get near him with any other tool. Once I get inside, I can use him in whatever way suits me best. It's worn well because I use it on everybody I can. And few people know it belongs to me. Discouragement. What happens when that tool is used on us? Discontentment. We get people discontented with the church. They want to try something else because they're discouraged. They're discouraged about their job. So another job, that's the answer. Their car, they don't like their car. Another job or another car discourage, 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 and the devil stands over in his corner just dancing with glee. The discouragement of the enemy is his number one tool. But the Bible says the peace of God will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. Hang in there. The peace of God will bring you through, not some other thing that we think we have to add to help us out of the discouragement. Glory to God. Paul found it so. The devil couldn't use that tool on him. That was one of the people he never had success with. Now, the fifth P said there would be five. The provision of God. It's verse 19, one of my favorite verses. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. The provision of God. Dwight Moody speaking on verse 19 said, it's God's blank check. The firm, my God, the promise, shall supply the amount, all your need, the capital, according to his riches, the bank, in glory, the signature, by Christ Jesus. The firm can never go bankrupt. The promise is absolutely certain. The amount is always sufficient. The capital is limitless. The bank can never be robbed. The signature is on every check. How can we ever be discontented? How can we ever be dissatisfied when we live in Philippians chapter 4? Hallelujah. The five Ps that the apostle practiced every day of his life. And if you look back to chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, he said it again. Our citizenship is in heaven. And he closes these great. Verses in chapter 4 by saying, Now unto our God be glory forever and ever. Amen. So, what if I lose my head in Rome? Now be unto our God glory forever and ever. Hallelujah. Purpose, presence, people, peace, provision. Our God will supply. You can sit around and grumble if you want to, or you can live in chapter 4 of Philippians, if you will. The discontent will vanish. The sorrow will flee. The discouragement will disappear. The power of God will come to your life. There will be healing in the contentment that only Jesus Christ can give. Now I close with a story of a friend of Mrs. Letourneau I've been trying to give you some helpful applications week by week, and here is my application. This friend was told by a doctor, you cannot speak a word for six months. Your voice is so bad that you must not open your mouth to speak for six months. Total rest from your voice. Oh, for a woman to have that pronouncement. She had four children and a husband besides. She said, what will I do? He said, buy a whistle. When you want your children, blow the whistle. Put pads in every room of your house with pencils by them and write notes. She went home with the whistle. Put pads all over, told her family what she had to do. She began to blow the whistle And the children were more responsive than they'd ever been. When she blew that, they would come a-running. She would write notes all over the house for her family members, children and husband. After six months, she could speak now. Somebody asked her, what did all of that mean to you? How did you ever get through that? She said, I'll tell you, it gave me such contentment. I would pick that whistle up and blow that whistle. And those kids responded like I never had them respond when I was going around yelling at them all the time. It was amazing the change that came in our family. She said I would write notes out in places and then after a few minutes, I'd run back and tear the note up and throw it in the wastebasket because I knew it was the wrong thing. I shouldn't have said that. She said we save more fights and more problems by my tearing up those notes. She said what have I learned? I've learned to be content and to shut my mouth. And I read that story, and I thought, boy, what a revival that would bring to any church if we would just stop our mouthing and become content with what God has given us, start living for a change instead of complaining, griping, biting, and chewing, and hurting one another, So, you go home now and buy a whistle. Put pads around, and before you speak, maybe write the note out. Maybe you'll have time to go tear it up. Start loving one another, whatever comes. We're gods. The devil can't touch us without his permission. We have an eternal purpose, we have an eternal presence, we have an eternal peace. We have eternal people to share with. Hallelujah. And we have an eternal provision in God, in Jesus Christ. We can be victorious. I can do all things, he said in verse 13, through Christ who is right now strengthening me. And I feel that strength as I stand here. How about you as you sit there? I can do all things through Christ who is strengthening me. I'm going to be content. I'm happy right where I'm at. I'm happy with my wife. I'm happy with my house. I'm happy with you. I'm happy with everything. I'm happy in Jesus Christ. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. I have an eternal home and an eternal glory that fadeth not away. I'm satisfied. And I want to live that way. Until Jesus comes, and that's the way he wants us all to be. So let's get healed as we stand together all over the church. Hallelujah. Amen. Therefore, the eye of
1: the Lord is all the righteous. And in healing all of their prayers, did your prayers know underly? Remember the affliction that come on you. They are working for you with our extended. And eternal wake in glory. Look by the that are seen but look at those things that are not seen for
0: those things that are not seen they are eternal I have purchased for you an eternal salvation for my eternal spirit now my eternal son for your eternal soul hallelujah
1: to myself, therefore my people, look ye well to your ways, rejoice in me, rejoice in my love, rejoice in my hope that I have given unto you, for I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, can the mother forsake her child, yet she may forsake the child
0: of her womb, but I will
1: not forsake thee, for I will embrace thee upon the palms of my hands, and I will there. the
0: Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. For those of you who are new to us, let me explain. There are nine gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. One of them is the gift of prophecy, a message from God in the language of the people for edification. And we have just experienced the gift of prophecy through our brother Bernard, an edification to all of us. Hallelujah. And I receive it, don't you? Glory to God. I receive it. Now, dear friend, if you are without Jesus Christ today, you don't need to leave without him. He loves you. He died to save you. And I want you to receive him into your life. I'd like to be the one to introduce you to Jesus and open the door for you to come to Jesus. Will you come to him today? I want you to step out of where you're standing and walk down to this altar where our associates will be standing to greet you. If you're in the balcony, stairways lead you down to the front. Now, nobody moving for the next few moments because this is the most important business of the whole day right now. I want you only to be moving toward the altar. If you need Jesus Christ in your heart, I want you to come and receive him. We have material we want to give you. If you've not asked Christ into your life, you've got to do that to make heaven your home. And it's so easy, so easy. So I ask you to make a public declaration. Just come from where you're standing. And those of you who have committed the sin of discontentment, you have not been satisfied. You've been in a turmoil. You need forgiveness from that. And let the peace of God start moving into your heart. And I want you to come for prayer with one of the pastors. I want you to step right out. You identify the thing as you come. This is important. It's important. Then I'm going to pray for all of you before we close. All right? Is that Fair enough? I want us to sing, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior, this morning. I want you to begin to move toward Jesus. Then we'll be through in just a few moments. God is in this place. Hallelujah. You let your needs be met.